0: Welcome to On The Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I'm hosting this episode because someone on the message board said that Josh stole this from me, so this is a power play for me to take this back from Joshua. Chris is just sitting here watching Mommy and Daddy fight. Um, It's tense. Can you feel the tension, fellas?
1: (laughs) There's no power play. I just help you out during the season. I produce and and edit the shows during the season when you're busy with team stuff, and you do more of the shows after the season. I'm not taking anything from you. Sounds like a power play to me if I've ever heard one. (laughs) hey fellas when was the last time you went to the
0: dentist because i just came back from it and they beat me the hell up it's been two years and it was like a uh do you ever, have you ever gone to the dentist and they just scold you the entire time and then they're extra rough with you because i'm pretty sure that's what happened
2: no I, I, I the best bones in my entire body are my teeth
1: <laughs> i have good Our, teeth but i uh you do have good teeth they they used to yell at me about not flossing but i just started flossing several years ago so I don't get yelled at anymore. I used to do this thing. You came to it late in life. I used to do this thing where I would only floss like five days before my dentist appointment (laughs) and try to trick them. Like I do it all That'll trick them. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) What
2: food do you always floss after? Corn? Chicken Um, wings. Barbecue.
0: Yeah. Chicken wings. Steak.
2: Yeah. A chewy steak or corn is probably the two automatics for me.
0: Like immediately after. I've been flossing really like rigorously and regularly in the last year, but – yeah, they, uh, they still wanted to prove a point. They beat you up. Yeah, they did. Anyways, uh, you guys don't want to hear about my teeth. You want to hear about Chubba Purdy entering the transfer portal. And that's where today's episode of On the Bench will begin. We'll go through some recruiting stuff. Uh, but I really want to focus in NC State preview as well, as well as a bug going through Florida State's campus, preparing. Uh, Perhaps one reason why young Zach Blossian isn't with us today. Both of you guys have been a little under the weather. Am I the healthiest member of Knowles 24-7 at the moment, like for the first time ever? You're so at that the happen? top of the health yes. rankings? Wow. First time for everything. All right. So Chubba Purdy enters a transfer portal on Wednesday. Uh, caught us off guard. Uh, the UCF rivals message board <laughs> had the scoop on it, I guess. So... uh that was something the message board finally was right with a, uh, a rumor that actually materialized into something true. So, you know, that's FSU's redshirt freshman quarterback, former four-star recruit, someone who Kenny Dillingham and Mike Norvell kind of hand selected and beat Louisville with right. You know, when they got to campus or beat Louisville for, excuse me. Uh, they never beat Louisville with him, unfortunately. And, and they beat Louisville for Chubb Purdy services right in the beginning of their, their tenure at FSU. Chubba starts one game in his career, played a little bit a few weeks ago against UMass. But really, this is a, a matter of someone who came in highly regarded, had an injury pretty early on in his career, never materialized. So I'm going to throw this to you, Josh. Uh, simply put, what what happened?
1: Yeah, I posted a story yesterday on Knowles 24-7 talking about um, what's next at quarterback after the Chuba Purdy transfer. And in it, I kind of detailed a little bit on what I was hearing. I was working the phones yesterday, and a source told me that the transfer had to do with playing time or lack thereof. Um, basically, that Purdy doesn't really see a path for him to become the starter, at least in the short term, and is looking for a fresh start. Um, like you said, he was handpicked by Mike Norvell when they took the job, um, but he he got that collarbone injury early on. and you know, multiple surgeries later, it's just like he never really got back on track after that initial injury. I, I mean, I feel like there was a lot of promise for him. Then there was the pause for the injury. And then it, we never really heard the excitement or the optimism that Chuba Purdy was going to be the guy.
0: Oh, I was leaving that for you to, to chime in, Chris. Real quick, the, the, and you may be able to add to this, Christopher, the Shoulder injury, the collarbone sh- injury technically happens in preseason camp. The first scrimmage, it's like the second play of the scrimmage where he's he's diving in into the end zone on a two point conversion. No, sorry, he scored a touchdown. Then they're going for a two point conversion, and he's trying to scramble and gets hit. Quarterbacks were live then. That was something that that was controversial uh, for some at the moment. But so that collarbone injury requires surgery. It then requires later on in the season after his loan start. Uh, It was against NC State. Ironically, here we are going to preview NC State. That requires a cleanup. And then one more time in the spring. uh, Apparently, I was told like that after one of the spring practices, like the shoulder was really red and swollen. And so it just kept and that was one of the issues early on with the after the initial procedures, it had an infection. What ends up happening, from my understanding, this kind of goes back to the offseason people talking about Chubba Purdy being in the doghouse. And I think that's a, a misrepresentation of, of really what we were looking at. I think more so it was a frustration between two parties that the surgery didn't go as anyone had hoped for initially. That there was a. Uh, why are you smiling, Josh? Sorry, go ahead. Am I rambling? Um, no, this- no, no. I'm laughing oh, okay. at myself. Okay. Uh, so so Chubba, so Chubba has re-aggravations of the same injury, and ultimately I think there was a little bit of tension from the Chubba Purdy camp that the initial surgery didn't hold, and there was frustration that that was on FSU's doctors that they chose for that surgery. Uh, and obviously for FSU, you're going to defend your doctors and, and your medical staff, as I understand that So there was some frustration that happened in the offseason, and to me, I, I think this kind of dug away at some trust between the two sides, and I think that expedited what was something that may have ended up happening, Chuba Purdy transferring you know, in a year or two down the road if he didn't get the starting spot, whether it was Jordan Travis still maintaining space ahead of him or A.J. Duffy coming in and beating him out. I think this is something that, that had the potential to happen. I think that just kind of expedited things and led to the the fresh start that Josh had mentioned.
2: Yeah, and to add to that, Jordan Travis is listed as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, Purdy's listed as a redshirt freshman. Obviously, a good bit of difference in the actual years for those two guys in the college game because eligibility is a weird thing these days. Uh, With Purdy, you know, I I was told that he had considered this prior to the point of actually doing it earlier in this year, this calendar year. So it's not entirely shocking. And quarterback rooms are just ever-changing. It's sort of the norm now of – It's very tough to have three, four quarterbacks in your room consistently on scholarship, especially when they get clustered together as far as classes and the age. It's just one of those things where it's very tough. There's not a whole lot of patience in the process. You know, everybody's always looking for quarterbacks, especially through the portal. This is going to be an off season where that's a very common thing. It 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 is what it is. It stinks that FSU is losing a guy who was a highly regarded blue chip quarterback who you had hoped would develop and that they were going to finally get into a routine this year with last year being kind of a wash due to the injury and getting thrown into the fire that you were hoping maybe it was kind of setting a normal standard with them this year, but obviously it clearly didn't work and in the two camps. you know, I, I don't want to make that into more than it is, but it, it never felt like it was symmetric after the injury.
0: That's, that's a good way of, of putting it Chris, yeah, I don't think it was this like really super contentious thing. It was just a matter of it just not really settling in. Um, you mentioned that it that it stinks that you lose him. It, it was interesting to me to see the reaction of the fan base so uh, drastically opposed. There were some people was like, ah, it's just the third string quarterback. There's some they're saying that's the quarterback of the future. We just just lost without giving him a chance, and um, I, I think the answer per usual somewhere in between like he wasn't someone who was going to make a profound impact this year Uh, there wasn't a guarantee that he was ever going to be the starter here but in terms of upside what you currently have on the roster would you guys agree that he has the most had i should say the most upside of any quarterback on the roster
2: of the ones currently on the roster yes and the other thing is just that that's a position where fsu has been scarred time and time again in recent years. And it's not in a good place. I mean, Milton's not very healthy. Jordan Travis, we all know who and what he is. And we've seen Tate in action, and I don't think anybody's rushing to see him in action again. So it's not in a great spot. A.J. Duffy is expected in in January, which will be a nice lift for it. But I just think it's sort of the new norm of it's very tough for that position to truly have any valuable depth anymore in a college game because guys are so quick to move on.
1: So as it – oh, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. I – like Chris said, I think this is a sign of the times um, in no way can you spin this as a positive. That's for certain, you know, it, like Chris said, you, you want more talent in the QB room, not less. And Chubba Purdy was one of the guys with a higher ceiling of, of the guys in that room. Um, losing QB three doesn't, you know, send FSU into a spiral. I think replacing him is doable. Um, you know, I know that they got three guys on the roster as it stands, but they're going to need to do some some maneuvering this offseason, and I think they will. But what can you do? You know What can you do in times like this? You just got to keep recruiting.
0: Well, speaking of recruiting, Josh, uh, you also, in the story you posted about Chuba Purdy yesterday and some of the insight there, um, let's talk about the future of the positions. I mean, right now this year you have three on, on – the roster right now through scholarship quarterbacks Uh, right don't anticipate mckenzie milton coming back next year uh as of right now i know that's been talked about that but let's just say right now no not part of this well i brought it up
1: i brought it up as a possibility that something that he was kind of looking into earlier in the season um i've talked to sources you know and basically i think this will be his last year mckenzie milton's last year i don't anticipate this move, you know, causes him to rethink things. I think at this point where it stands, I think we'll see Mackenzie Milton move on to probably the coaching world after this, or possibly, you know, a shot at the NFL, you know, whatever he wants to make of it.
2: Yeah.
0: But, but for the exercise that we're about to have right now, let's assume, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, very unlikely that he, uh,
1: let's go with that.
0: Let's say he's not coming back. All right. So we know that you have Jordan Travis, Tate maker for the time being. Um, and that's not me saying that anything's gonna happen, but just you know, yes. Same thing with Chuba Purdy. Understood. Like, yes. And then the third would be AJ Duffy, who's expected to enroll in January. Correct if I'm wrong there. But so Correct. that's your hot shot young quarterback coming in that, that you hope can help elevate the room sooner or later. So those are the three. Uh, would not having Chuba Purdy, I was excited to have that room I just mentioned with the addition of Chubba Purdy and, and all those guys, kind of figure it out and seeing what emerged in the next couple of years. That's not going to happen now. The options are a little limited. Would you say, Josh, that they're going to look to add a fourth to get into the room at some well, point or another how, for next
1: year? Here, let's just break it down like this. From the high school level, 2022-wise, I said after Nico Markiel decommitted that FSU wasn't going to expand the board anymore, A.J. Duffy was their guy. When A.J. Duffy committed, it was, it. was that was it. They didn't pursue anybody else. So at this point, if they were to pursue a 2022 quarterback, offer somebody new, something like that, I would kind of look at at that as a desperation move Mm -hmm. because you're deviating from your original plan of only recruiting A.J. Duffy and only building a relationship with A.J. Duffy. We've seen now what happens when you go in on these late quarterbacks and you don't really build that solid foundation of a relationship. They don't stick around. Um, so I would think that at the high school level, we're not going to see another quarterback. Would, would you agree with that strategy, Chris? Do you think we see FSU expand the board at the high school level?
2: I, I don't think it's likely unless something gets shaken loose that's really appealing. I do think the one caveat to that might be Thomas Castellanos, more as an emergency-type guy, capable player at quarterback position, who's obviously a very good athlete. He's somebody that we know FSU likes and is interested in and has maintained a relationship with of course, he's committed elsewhere at this point. Uh, I think it would be – I'll put it this way. I, I find it difficult to believe FSU goes into next year with just three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Though.
1: Right. And my take on Thomas Castellanos is this. You can pencil him in right now as a potential quarterback or, you know, oh, he's an athlete slash QB. But I think when push comes to shove and it's the reality of the situation, I don't think Thomas Castellanos is going to be a option for FSU at quarterback. Like he's not going to do anything – in my view to solidify the QB room. Now he's a great offensive weapon and that's why FSU wants them. They, they, they want him as potentially a running back slot receiver, something like that. So I don't really, I don't really think Castellanos is going to serve as any sort of replacement or supplement to the QB room moving forward. So that's why I don't really think that they do anything at the high school level. Um, My take on QB recruiting in general is that I think it's going to be quiet for the next seven, eight weeks. Um, You do the math. You figure out what happens in the next seven or eight weeks. What's on the calendar in the next seven or eight weeks, Brendan? Look what happens on December 15th. What happens? Early signing period. Mm. And on early signing period, I think that AJ Duffy will put pen to paper, ink himself with Florida State, lock himself in and enroll in a week or two after that. So... My follow-up dentist
0: appointment, by the way, Josh, December 16th, if you're interested.
1: No. Also. Oh. And if and then once he's signed, I think FSU might poke around in the portal. They might poke around um, if there's a coaching move or an offensive coordinator that you know in a QB that don't mesh anymore because of a coaching change. Maybe they go try to flip a, a high school QB. But for the Knicks, for the next seven to eight weeks, I think quarterback recruiting is dead silent. Um, don't think FSU, you know, I I don't think they're going to be in it for Spencer Rattler. I don't think they're going to go after Miles Brennan. They're not going to go after Harrison Bailey. I don't think you're going to see any of these names in play for Florida State. I think if they do circle around for the portal, it'll be later. I think there'll be a ton of options. I mean, the portal is going to be probably more active than it's ever been. And I do think that they, they end up adding another quarterback at some point. Probably from the portal.
0: Just from a numbers perspective, like to go into a season with only three seems risky. So, yeah, I'm don't. i I'm with you, Josh. I don't think it's like a priority where it has to get done today and you have to reshuffle your board. Like just signing AJ Duffy with the belief that he will, whether it's 2022 or more likely you know, a couple of years after that, like be the guy for you and be the guy for a few seasons. Uh,
1: but there get is through, no you know, way. The body. There is no way you can screw up the AJ Duffy recruit. No, like you cannot, if you're Mike Norvell and Kenny Doingham, and you cannot afford to screw this up whatsoever. <laughs> because so much time, energy, just you know, you, you exclusively built this re- strong relationship with one player. Like, there's nothing you should do between now and early signing day to give AJ Duffy any reason to to reconsider things. So I think uh, that that's just my take on QB recruiting moving forward. Anything to add to that, Chris?
2: No, nah, I'm just dying for that room to return to a form of being homegrown talent. It's been so transfer heavy the last several years, and that just isn't a formula for long-term success.
0: Yeah. Some programs can get away with it, but even then you see it eventually kind of start to creep up on you after a while. You can't develop guys over a long period of time. Uh, so, so speaking of developing and, and the future of the room, AJ Duffy, Zach was able to get in touch with him the other day. And there's some presumed drama coming out of IMG Academy. Uh, we were able to clarify it from, from AJ Duffy's camp. So uh, Josh, I guess I'll throw this to you. You'll, you'll be the replacement for Zach. You're, you're uh, mini Zach at the okay, moment. Okay. I got
1: you. No, um, <laughs> hey guys. hi, uh, What's up? AJ Duffy's camp via AJ Duffy. Zach just went straight to the source. AJ Duffy, um, I, we had kind of confirmed that um, he had injured his throwing hand in some form or fashion and was shutting it down for the season. And mind you, IMG has two games remaining. I think this is also why he's shutting it down for the season. They have two games remaining this weekend in Canada and then the next weekend in Maryland. So I don't think AJ Duffy who told us he has a dislocated throwing, uh, dislocated finger on his throwing hand that he injured in a game. Um, he's going to shut it down for the rest of the season He's returning to California to graduate, and he plans to early enroll at FSU in January. So uh, that comes rewind, from A.J. Duffy himself.
0: Rewind, Josh. Why the hell would IMG Academy go to Canada to play a football game in mid-November? That's crazy. I I that's,
1: I'm going to check the schedule. Yet, a, but I would check, that, check.
0: that doesn't make any damn sense. Like That's just hell advisable It doesn't
1: uh, make sense. You know? If
0: I were A.J. Duffy, I would have a finger injury, too. I ain't going to Canada in November. That sounds
1: awful. It says, it says, what do you got? Against oh, Canada? up next. Sorry, it's a home game. I'm it's sorry. Like, it's a home oh, game. Canada's okay, coming, coming to them. them. Canada's <laughs> coming to them. That makes. We want good. Canada. Bring but it this on. This is also the team that played Bishop Sycamore to open the season. So, you know, <laughs> who knows what they're doing? <laughs> Expose those frauds for what they were. I don't have anything
0: against Canada. I have everything against Canada after October.
1: Yeah. But anyway, A.J. Duffy, dislocated finger on his throwing hand. I don't think it needs surgery or anything like that from from what he was telling Zach. Um, Good news is he included the fact that he plans to early enroll at FSU in January. So everything seems solid there Besides in the QB room besides the uh, Purdy news.
0: All right. Let's talk about real quick. uh, I've been fighting the good fight on the message board and uh, losing it, though, however – uh, the play of Jordan Travis against Clemson. It's just remarkable to be, to me, how quickly everyone turned on him when he didn't light it up against, you know, a, a top five defense nationally. Um, more so though, I want to, I want to focus this conversation because he didn't play great. I, I didn't think he played poorly. I think he played fine given the circumstances around him, uh, which was already well-documented the offensive line, uh, not great. And then, um, you know, wide receiver room is what it is right now. Long term, long term, though. Do we think Jordan Travis is still the guy? Like, do we do we enter next season feeling good and
1: confident? I do based Uh, on the QB room. I I mean, I felt like this before the Chubba Purdy transfer. I think I said it on a podcast or said it on the message board or something. But um, I based on the QBs that we know, of including Chubba Purdy, I would expect Jordan Travis to go into next season as the starter based on the the names that we know, including AJ Duffy.
2: I agree with Josh's comment, but I don't know that he's technically the guy. Correct. I I think there's a ceiling with JT um, unless he takes a drastic step forward as a passer, a consistent, reliable, can drop back and be a passer without setting up with run passer this team will always be limited offensively. But as far as what's available to him,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I think right now, yes, he is in that regard. But I think there's a ceiling. And yeah, I, I think I that's what that. a lot of people are banging their head against is that we're only going to go so far and be able to do so yeah. much with him at the helm. Now, I think, and this is based off watching a lot of practice, talking to a lot of people and just seeing it with my own two eyes. It's clear why he's starting. And I, I think some people struggle with that. I think – People fall into the trap of conspiracy or just a love of a backup quarterback, whatever it is. He's starting for a reason. He gives them the best opportunity to win games consistently right now, which is why they're going with him. But I'm looking forward to the day that FSU has a well-rounded quarterback who can do everything back there and is capable. I love Jordan's athleticism and what he brings with regards to the run game, and that's become the identity of this team because it fits who and what he is. But it also limits this team.
0: And, and it hides what they are not or what they can't hide. Uh, but you mentioned Jordan's ceiling, Chris. Like, do you think he, he's hit
2: his his ceiling or do you think he's approached well, it? his ceiling him? comes with the caveat of what's around him. I mean, a receiver group isn't very good. When Keyshawn Helton and Pokey Wilson are your best receivers, you're dealing with a bunch of number threes as your number ones. Your running backs have been outstanding, but your line is struggling. And they're going to struggle. They're just not that good, not that deep, and not that talented. So it's sort of a, this is who we are. We have to live in the moment and be what we are. And I think FSU is trying to maximize that. But the hope is that they recruit better, bring in better talent, upgrade where they have shortcomings and become a better football team. And I think part of that is upgrading at the quarterback position.
0: I, And I, I agree in the sense, like t- for Florida State to get where it ultimately, where, where this fan base wants to go and, You know where Florida State should be based on the history of of its time the last thirty years in college football. Like I don't think Jordan Travis is that caliber of quarterback, or at least he has not shown it just yet. Um, With with that
1: being said, like this isn't a program that's ready to get to that point. No, yes it is. You you put in not now. You put in a transcendent quarterback on any team, and they're going to be significantly improved. This league is built. (sighs) doesn't have one of those, right? Exactly, and they can't that's attract one of them. And the guy who right transferred out now. wasn't that
2: either, despite what some people want to try to tell themselves. He, he was not no, ready to be not. that guy.
1: No, definitely not. I'm talking about. We've seen, we've seen them. They're, they don't come around every year. I'm just saying that's what it takes. So if you're re, like, you're only going to go as far as your quarterback talent level can take you. If you go back 20 years and you look at Florida State's quarterback, correlate it to their their wins and losses, it almost goes hand in hand, their record with the talent level of the quarterback that was at the helm at the time. And if you look at what's happening now, I think quarterback play over the last three, four years has been the worst it's ever been at Florida State, and it's the worst record we've ever seen at Florida State. The quickest way to turn around this team is to get a better quarterback, but it's easier said than done
0: to an extent but like then but yes yeah i mean if you got a prodigious five-star quarterback yes that would certainly expedite things we saw even if you, you put
1: know, like kenny pickett back
0: there no i see but just, that's where i disagree with if you put kenny pickett back there josh like behind that offensive line all those flaws that jordan travis masks get exposed with those waters and like maybe he's able to elevate it because he gets rid of the ball quickly yeah i think he's
1: able to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker
0: Maybe. I mean that's not a strength for Jordan, but then Jordan also forces the number game to change. Usually it didn't happen against Clemson so much because Clemson's so good, but because he's he's a runner, like he's able to change the math in some ways. And that's like the unseen value that I think a lot of casual fans don't understand. I'm gonna throw this out there because I'm super nerdy. Jordan Travis's passer rating this year is one fifty two point eight. When was the last time? Go ahead and guess, fellas. The last time an FSU quarterback had a passer rating above one fifty, starting quarterback. I'll
2: go with
0: 2014. You actually, Jameis Winston's passer rating was not even 150 in 2014. It was 2013. Jameis's passer rating was 145.5 in 2014.
2: I, I, I get why you're stuck in the discussion, and I'm, I'm more on your side than that side with regards to the discussion. But like Jordan Travis is what he is as a passer.
0: I think he's an above-average power-five quarterback.
2: Mm, I
0: don't. If you include the running with the passing, I think he's yeah, above average power five. Quor-
2: quarterbacks have to be passers first.
0: All right, so and that may ultimately be where this takes us. Is like that just there is a a ceiling to what this offense can be under Jordan Travis, and he also elevates the floor, which kind of takes us back to where this was day one, right? <laughs> this is where the co- same conversation I feel we were having, Chris, back in the preseason. Um, yeah, I just people blaming the Clemson loss on him, I, I feel like it's really unfair. And as I fall, I fall into this trap sometimes of over defending
2: Look, someone. He didn't play great at Clemson. He didn't play awful at Clemson, but the interior of the offensive line got their ass kicked. I mean, yeah. if we're just being matter of fact about it.
0: Oh, they did. That's fair to say that it was, it was pretty
2: brutal. FSU's defense didn't come up with a stop in the end, despite playing a very good second half.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around. Yeah. But, Jordan Travis didn't look good against Clemson because Clemson's pretty damn good on defense. They make and most I think people. That's the point you're trying to make.
0: They make most people not look good. good. He actually had the best game against Clemson that any quarterback has had statistically this season.
2: I mean, I love it, EJ, but he needs to cut out the EJ spin cycle. We don't need that coming back into our life.
0: And see Josh <laughs> shaking his head. I mean, that's something that Josh got some scoop on back, in. we we did not. Uh, something Josh got scooped back on in the preseason. The, the concern is that FSU didn't feel like it could run its full full offense of what they really wanted to do like what they've done at memphis with the rpo game and, and some of the precise passing stuff because jordan does have a default to turn and run sometimes and that's still something he, he has to work on and maybe we're at a point where it's like it, it doesn't get there against elite competitions and expose um i think it'll be a big month for jordan to kind of see what he can do um against a steady stream of power five teams coming up here so yeah that's where i stand with with that any other recruiting stuff? Yeah, we do have a few recruiting things. Uh, who wants to take the place of, hey, guys, of
1: Zach for this one? <laughs> I'll, I'll, me, and, me and Chris will talk a little bit. Um. So we, we talked about the A.J. Duffy news. Uh. Today, Zach posted a story on the front page of Knowles 24-7 on four-star linebacker Wesley Besaint out of Miami Central. He's one of the top names on the linebacker board. Chris, some big news today.
2: Yeah, he's planning to come in for the Miami game on November 13th. Wesley's down to his final five, which is FSU and Miami being two of them, and a lot of people think those are leading to, but we'll see about that. Florida, West Virginia, Penn State are the other ones. His plan at this point is to decide uh, right around Thanksgiving, I believe, at his school, so I would presume maybe a day or two before Thanksgiving.
0: Uh, real quick, a linebacker question with Besaint, and then I want to let you guys get back into recruiting. Do you think it's more likely that FSU is able to land Wesley Saints Demario Tolan,
1: uh, Jaron Willis, or none of the above. Oh, you got me with the Jaron Willis. I was going to say my only crystal ball is on Wesley Basanez to Miami right now. Um, I still feel Basanez to Miami, but I'm waiting. You know, the November 13th visit is going to be pivotal. Pivotal if FSU can win that game. You know, I feel like they can really sway the momentum. He can have a great visit. I want to see what he says leaving there. So right now, I'm, I'm I'm still leaving my crystal ball in Miami, but that could change coming out of that visit. Um, so most likely, I'd probably say Tolan right now because the team he's committed to is coachless. Um, and he's an in-state guy. You know, Tolan's committed to LSU. He's from Orlando, and we hope to see him show up on November 13th. I think if he does, then it um, might be putting in a second crystal ball and then of course geron willis i have crystal ball from fsu from back in march but i don't i don't know about that one
2: i'll take none of the above i'll be a pessimist on this one
1: that's good we
0: need we need some balance you're just not feeling great about the like the there's momentum i guess in traction willis
2: who knows he says a lot of different things at a lot of different times i've been burnt by that one once so i'm kind of yeah. yeah, taking my walk away from it with Wesley. Miami kids are kind of tough to forecast most times until right around the decision because they make the decision right around the decision. Uh, with Tolan, I think he's probably the one out of those three I would feel the most confident about, but I need him to show back up here before I'm gonna jump right. on board with that one. Guys, Another guy that we need put to my, see.
0: Wait, I want to do a show, Crystal Ball. Are you ready? I'm gonna put Ooh. in for Demario Tolan because I got, I got a feeling the FSU feels good about him. I'm going to put in a whopping confidence score of three.
1: Jeez, people, you wonder why people hate you. <laughs> I don't wonder about these things. I know. <laughs> um, all right. Moving on. Uh, talking about guys that need to show up. Um, somebody that gets talked about a whole lot considering he hasn't been on campus since what June is Tyree West, a defensive four-star defensive tackle committed to Georgia uh, we know Florida State's involved with Tyree West, but what's the latest, Chris? Well, he's still committed to
2: Georgia. You know, that's the biggest thing. It's but with FSU, he's tossed around possibly coming for NC State or Miami. We think Miami's a more likely possibility of those two. And then taking an official to FSU after the season. He won't be at NC State, even though he's tossed that around previously, because I believe he is actually supposed to be at Georgia this weekend for his official Um, it's weird during the process with him, there's been talk that Georgia may move on, but that was before the whole new waiver process of an additional seven came about. So I don't know that Georgia is going to be that stuck on numbers as they were thought to be at one point, because Georgia is obviously putting together an insanely impressive mega class. Now it will be interesting in Tyree's case. If the fact that Georgia has landed so much talent up front, on a very talented defense already. If that maybe causes him to look for a different place where the path to playing is probably a little bit easier because of the need at the position. So um, FSU almost got him in on the last day of, I believe it was June again for another visit. It didn't come about in July. I don't think it was ever coming about. So here we are needs to show up, but they have a legitimate shot if he does arrive back on campus and visits and you know,
1: i think he if if he does open it up i don't think there's another program that's in position no FSU's done
2: a very good job I think, coach woodson yeah. and coach haggins have both done a very good job there with building a relationship
1: yeah i think it's uga or fsu but right now he's saying all the right things he's, he continues to show up to georgia if he follows through with his official visit that tells you everything you need to know about how georgia feels about him they're not going to pay for a kid to come on campus for a weekend and host him and put their time and resources into somebody that they're going to just cut loose in a couple weeks. So um, this is a battle between FSU and Georgia, but we really need to see Tyree West show up before we can consider him a a true flip candidate. Um, The only other thing we have to talk about in recruiting is just another ho-hum week with Travis Hunter being super solid to Florida state. He put out a tweet this weekend or on Mondays um, quote tweeting, Florida State commitment Sam McCall just saying he can't wait to get to Florida State and be teammates with Sam McCall in January in January as an early enrollee so another ho-hum week in the recruitment of Travis Hunter I know you guys want more on this but he is rock solid and um, I'm at a point three percent at this point I've moved my nine point point, my nine my nine point one has gone to seven point three which for most people is like a
0: four
2: point six probably Huge if development. Do, if doomsday happens and we have to record the emergency pod, I'm just here for okay. Josh's energy.
1: I already I already have it titled. I already have it. It's all it's locked and loaded. We already, taped it. Hell, it we already like, taped it.
2: Sounds
0: like more than a point three to me. All
1: right. Uh, that's it for recruiting. I don't think we have anything else right now. Uh,
0: okay. So before we get to the NC State preview and get you out of here, Joshua, uh, there is a, Mike Norvell called it a bug bug Mm -hmm. going around uh florida state's campus right now i did not believe it's covid and in fact pretty confident although my doctor my dentist today did say they canceled four appointments because of covid today so that's that's reassuring that that's cranking back up again but uh but no they're talking about this being a flu that's on campus and in the athletic department flu strep throat um i know there's some strep going around even like a month or two ago And and now it it seems like it's it's caught fire, which tends to happen when it gets a little bit colder in Tallahassee on a college campus like that, that happens. But it has an impact to the athletic program. And as Mike Norvell said, it has uh, somewhat impacted Florida State's team.
2: To add to that point, baseball canceled their Garner and Gold game on Friday, just now in the time we've been recording this. From what I've been told, it's for an abundance of caution for health of players, non-COVID related. We also saw swimming and diving cancel their meet with Florida, also scheduled for Friday. I didn't get a specific comment on that one, but I presume it falls under the same guidance. Yeah, so that's fun stuff. And um, I can confirm it exists because I'm dealing with it to some degree right now too. Great, yeah.
0: glad I spent glad I spent the uh, you know last 48 hours driving the car with you. Larry, I think I got it up. after
2: that. So you're fine. What do you? What, what, what it I think it came about for me either Monday or early Tuesday.
0: We were hanging out on Tuesday also. But yeah, but I,
2: I didn't really talk to you. I didn't like you on Tuesday. I was very short not, with you, very current. Chris, Chris
0: did not throw me out of the car. That was good. Um, yeah, we made it. He needed the gas money. Yeah, usually Chris wants to go and get lunch on Tuesdays, and there was no uh, there was no lunch suggestion at all.
2: I went home and slept
0: because you were you had the bug yep josh before we get you out of here score prediction fsu hosting nc state line opened at two moved up to three it's kind of settling at mostly two and a half right now as we record this on thursday morning
1: uh my score prediction for what time's the game by the way 4, 4 p.m. p.m. ACC oh, Network 4 p.m. Oh, good old ACC Network. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. Josh, from my what's your house. favorite what's your favorite commercial on the ACC Network when you watch it? Either the ear, the the uh, hearing aid or the tax shaver. That Jeep <laughs> that tack on
2: the tax shaver.
1: Wait, what is it? <laughs> they they just shaver. show so on for those I don't know. I guess everybody listening. Back shaver? This, but what no, tack, tack, it's called tax shaver. The, but all the commercials are basically like really crappy infomercials, like short infomercials. They're like they're like 90-second commercials.
0: If any of them want to
1: sponsor On The Bench, we are looking for sponsorship. I feel like they're paying ACC Network like $7.99 a week to to advertise. I would take 7 dollars a week. That's a, bottle of, bourbon. That's a
0: bottle of <laughs> bourbon at the end of the month.
1: That's $7.99 more than we're getting. All <laughs> right. So my my feeling on this game is – in a nutshell, I think Florida State's running out of gas at this point in the season. Not only cuz they're sick, but last week took a toll on them, I think mental or I think physically for sure and possibly mentally. Um but, you know, just just running out of gas. The roster's thin with talent and they can't afford many injuries or guys playing at 75-60%. And I think NC State wins this one. I got 29-27 NC State. All right. So, so how do you get to 29? <laughs>
0: The same way you get to 32, just minus a field goal. Is this
1: four touchdowns and a two-point conversion? I really – the algorithm really came out with a score of eight for Florida State, but I didn't want to upset you with eight because I know you'd ask me how we got to eight, and I don't want to even tell you how you get to eight in this game. I just like – you're like the king of scoring
2: You throw out scores that almost never, ever happen. It's but yet you're usually closest. I can't say shit. I've been yeah, horrible I'm always right year. in the ballpark. I'm the Chris of death, but, you know. So are you taking 29. FSU? Me, heck no, not in this one. No. I don't I didn't feel confident about this game before this week transpired with the situation of the bug and things of that sort. I feel less confident about it now. I think NC State's a bad matchup for FSU and we'll dive into that. But they're good at stopping the run. Their offense is very capable. Yeah. I think FSU can maybe exploit their linebackers a little bit just because they're limited depth there because of injuries. They've lost two mm-hmm. of their best at that position. Now, Drake Thomas is still a very, very good player at that position for them. But I think that's one area where if you can block it up up front to some degree, they can maybe have some success at that second level. He's,
0: right. suck, he's sucking you into analysis, Josh. Uh, is that a leaf blower oh, going good. on at your house or Chris's? That, that's no, at my are,
1: house. No, I think it's mine. They're totally remodeling. They're putting a whole back end of the house on my neighbor's house. Sounds leaf blowery. Two months. Yeah, there's, um, there's a leaf blower and mowing going on next door to me right now. And just to answer your question, there's a late safety added by Florida State to put them, bump them to 29 in this one. Uh,
2: a so backdoor action. Were at
1: 27, so three touchdowns mm-hmm. and two field
2: goals before late the safety. Cover. Late cover.
0: Backdoor. Backdoor action. All right, Josh, thanks for joining us. You're welcome to hang around, but we're going to get into the weeds a little bit here with NC State. So... <laughs> Okay, Christopher. NC State, I am with you. I am very worried about this. I was worried. I was honestly more worried about, it's going to sound crazy, even though they beat Clemson, I was more worried about this game at home than I was Clemson on the road to some extent. I just, I feel like NC State's good at a lot of things and that leaves you with few options to really exploit. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, Let's start off with NC State when they're on offense. Devin Leary's the quarterback who keeps them on schedule, makes everything hum.
2: Yeah, and the best thing about their offense is that they don't give it away. They take care of the football very, very well. They've lost three fumbles on the season. That ranks 15th in the country, and they've thrown just three interceptions. I think Larry's thrown two of them, which ranks ninth in the nation. Larry's been outstanding for them. 189 for 286 at 66% completion rate, which is third in the league, 34th in the country. Almost 2,200 passing yards, 21 passing touchdowns, two picks thrown. He averages 23.62 completions per game. He averages 11.43 passing yards per completion, 271, 270.1 passing yards per game. He's not much of a threat with his legs, but he's very, very capable of dishing it, and he's got weapons to throw it to. They're a good run-pass balanced offense. Bam Knight, excellent running back guy I've liked for years. He's got 101 attempts for 542 this year and three rushing touchdowns. He creates a nice one-two punch with Ricky Person Jr., 94 rushes for 459 and four rushing touchdowns. Both of those guys are capable receivers out of backfield, but I wouldn't describe either as a primary receiving target. Now, the guy that thrashed FSU when they played up there at NC State last year was Thierre Thomas, a slot receiver. He did whatever the hell he wanted against FSU last year. It was not pretty. He's got 37 receptions for just shy of 400 yards this year, averaging 10.8 per catch with 50 receiving yards per game. He's also their primary punt returner. Their leading receiver in receptions and yards is Emeka Amezi, who has 42 for 543. Thomas has six touchdowns, which leads the team. Amezi has two. Devin Carter's another target to know. Big boy, 6'2", 6'3"-ish. He's got 23 for 366, averages 15.9 per catch. Carter had two real, if you watched the Miami FSU game, had two really bad drops in that game, one of which was real late. That's what you might remember him for. He doesn't usually drop it to that rate. And speaking of NC State offensive talent, nine different players have a receiving touchdown on the season. 17 different players have registered at least one reception for the Wolfpack. They're also capable of blocking it up up front, which, you know, obviously makes everything kind of go. Iki Aquanu is their left tackle. He's a sophomore, got 23 career starts. Really, really good player, major NFL prospect. Uh, going from left to right, it's Iquanu, Dylan McMahon, Grant Gibson, Derek Eason, Bryson Spees. That group as a whole has 82 starts at their respective positions and 100 career starts overall on the offensive line.
0: Yeah, not not a whole lot of weaknesses on that offensive line. And and like you mentioned, it's Iquanu's a badass. He's yeah, one one point five
2: sacks per game allowed. That ranks 32nd in the nation, second in the league. Four point one two tackles for loss per game allowed. Ranks 38th in the nation, third in the ACC. So they do a great job of keeping Larry upright. Larry does a great job of delivering it downfield. But when they get you on your toes, they can also run it down your throat. So really, really good balanced, complete offense.
0: That's what I'm looking at. I'm like there's not a there's not a glaring weakness that they have on on offense that I can find. Um, they're solid everything. And also, dude, how old is Amezi? I feel like he's been there for like thirty years at this point. Like, can you get to I think get onto the a pros? Super senior.
2: I think he's oh a super God. senior. I, I, I want to say he's a fifth year guy for them.
0: Um, he's like a draftable prospect, isn't he? Maybe like a late round guy. Like he's an NFL. Yeah, he
2: is a graduate technically on their depth chart. Okay. So I don't know if that means fifth or sixth. I think it means fifth in his case.
0: Uh, all right. So that's the offense I was looking for. I was trying to go through real quick, install here and find their yards per carry uh, before contact average to see what the offensive line's doing. But
2: yeah before bam we get Knight to that for what well, i was gonna throw in bam Knight runs for 5.4 per touch that's total yardage and ricky person runs for 4.9 per touch so they're both averaging in the ballpark around five
0: so solid again one yes. two uh, punch there again not a weakness uh, their depth is solid with the run game as well how do you think florida state can stop them or slow
2: them uh if, if that's possible Uh, I mean, I think it's a game for Jermaine Johnson to elevate his stock even more. you got to see him win against a really, really talented dude on the opposite side of him, and he's got to be a guy that bothers. And I think it's all about that front porch. And, you know, it starts with Jermaine off the edge, but Fabian, Coop, and Malcolm Ray to a lesser degree on the interior have to win at the point of attack, and they have to bother them, and they have to be in the backfield. But I think it's a – It's one of those fine examples of you want NC State to have to earn touchdowns instead of just scoring touchdowns. What I mean by that is you want them to have to establish drives of half a dozen or more plays every time they're working down the field, force them into as many reps as possible, hoping for a mistake, or to get them in a a down situation that's more winnable for the defense than normal. But NC State does a good job of just kind of keeping themselves in front of chains, working down the field, consistently pitching and catching it, and being able to put up points. They're, from an explosive standpoint, go ahead, Snow.
0: I was going to say, just their, their run game, well, solid, especially the yard per carry, they average 4.4 4 yards per carry. Like I said, they have two running backs averaging over five. The yards before contact per carry is at 1.85. That's 74th nationally. That's pretty ho-hum. Uh, it's a little surprising to me.
2: So on explosive plays on the season, NC State has, as an offense, 66 They have 12 touchdowns on those 66, 34 rushing, which is 10 or more, 32 are passing, which is 20 or more. So that just speaks a little bit to their ability to hit explosive plays. I wouldn't describe the offense as overly explosive, but they're capable of being explosive. Mm -hmm. They're, They're not a team that has to live that life. They can win by being a little more dink and dunk, working down the field, own the clock. They're one of the better time of possession teams in the country, averaging just shy of about 32 minutes per game so they can't kind of own the ball on you too.
0: That's where having having Larry Larry helps out a little bit. Um yeah. they're 30, 31st nationally in plays of 20 plus yards and they've played less games than, than a handful of teams ahead of them. So they're really good at at explosives. That's going to be a tough stretch coming up because Miami's also really good at explosives. So it'll be a fun couple of weeks there for Florida State's defense it's going to get challenged. Miami
2: Miami lives a life a little bit more than NC State in the sense of trying to hit explosives. NC State will let it kind of come in the flow of a game. Miami kind of schemes to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And they found a quarterback in Glastonbury, Connecticut, which is crazy.
2: Anyways, Larry has gone 211 straight attempts without an interception.
0: It Means he's due. That's the only way. That's that's how I absorb that. Okay, yeah. let's let's switch side to to defense uh, again. Not a whole lot of weaknesses here. NC State's pretty sound and, and stout on defense.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny because they're individually they're not overly impressive. They're not disappointing by any stretch, but there's not like you play some teams and it's like you single out three dudes and that's the reason why they're damn good at what they do. I want to say NC State's that. They're more to kind of the collective. They run that three three five stack to some degree. They do a good bit of that. They're keeping teams off the scoreboard 16.2 per, points per game allowed. That ranks sixth in the nation. They set the table entirely by stopping the run. They've allowed one rushing touchdown all year, which is a huge reason why they're so successful. But a bigger reason is that they get off the field. On third down, they're allowing 28.3% conversion rate. That ranks fifth in the nation, is best in the ACC. Fourth down's not much better for teams, 30.8%. That's 13th in the nation. They're also 15th in the nation in red zone defense. 19 visits to the red zone for the opposition. Only nine touchdowns allowed in those 19 visits, so less than 50% of the time they allow a touchdown when a team gets in there. In total, they have allowed 14 scores because they allowed five field goals at 73.7% of the time that a team generates points within the red zone.
0: They're top 30 nationally in yards per play allowed. So, again, just solid there. And here's kind of the, the kicker for you, and this is where FSU is going to struggle. The coaches have mentioned last two opponents that they played have been really sound tackling teams uh technically nc state's a better tackling team than than clemson was in terms of just not missing they only have 41
2: missed tackles this season that's 10th nationally and that's um, about five a game basically right cuz they yeah. played eight correct
0: eight is correct uh care to guess who number one nationally is in uh fewest amount of, of missed tackles yep they've only missed
2: 28 tackles all season <laughs> so NC State averages 2.12 sacks per game. That's 64th in the nation, so they're not a super pressure-heavy team. 5.6 tackles for loss per game. That's 44th in the nation. Both of those numbers are in the lower back half of the ACC rankings, ninth in sacks, eighth in tackles for loss. What they do do a good job is generating turnover possibilities. I think they have two fumble recoveries, but they've created a ton of opportunities with fumbles. They have nine interceptions on the year, which leads the ACC. Only one player on the team has multiple interceptions. That's linebacker Drake Thomas, who's probably the number one player I would single out on their defense right now. And then eight other players or seven other players have one interception on the season. Tyler Baker Williams is their nickelback. He's probably their best coverage man based on PFF grades. He certainly is. He's got an interception, four pass breakups, 28 tackles, two tackles loss, five quarterback hurries. On Drake Thomas, who I mentioned earlier, the linebacker. He's actually brothers with Thayer Thomas, the slot safety. Or I'm sorry, uh-huh. the slot receiver. He's a sophomore. He He's listed as Sam. He's played Mike because of injuries, so they move around. Team leader in tackles with 69. Team leader in solo tackles, 32. Nice. Fifth in the ACC in total tackles. Leads them in sacks with four. Tackles for loss with six and a half. And tied for team lead in quarterback hurries with eight. And as I already mentioned, he has the two interceptions. Fellow linebacker, Levi Jones, who I think it's going by by Jones, he says at there. He has two and a half sacks and four tackles for loss. He's a bit more of kind of their bring him down, bring some heat off the edge kind of guy. A little bit more of a pass rush type specialist for them.
0: And speaking of pressure, they are 63rd nationally in blitz percentage, 27.3. So right down the middle in terms of how often they're going to get after it and try to press you in that regard. Uh, you forgot to mention my boy. Safety. Correct. No, uh, <laughs> no, Tanner Engel. Yeah, you
2: know, Engel's grades on PFF this year actually are kind of very mm-hmm. uh, mediocre is probably not a fair term, but they're they're on that team. They're not all that. They don't stand out a whole lot, but I he plays a ton of snaps.
0: I think he w- got hurt last year, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it was two years ago at this point. I think he's coming off an injury, but that's uh, a guy from Dr. Phillips, uh, home of Stephen Dix Jr., Demari Tolan, Brendan Sinone, you know, all the greats. Um oh, great. All the great defenders that have gone gone through the ranks there. Ha ah, ha Clinton Dix. It just it just goes on and on. Ricardo Wright, former FSU, great.
2: I backed him up. So uh the Bob Ferranti, 30 seconds, punter Trenton Gill, very good. <laughs> averages forty five point six yards per punt. That ranks second in the ACC, eighteenth in the country. Twenty of his forty-four punts have ended up inside the twenty. He also has 18, 18 of 44 punts have gone fifty or more yards on the season. He also handles kickoffs. Thirty-five of forty-five have gone for a touchback on the season. Kicker Christopher Dunn, who's been there a while, he's a junior, been very good for them. He's nine of thirteen this season. That's just under seventy percent. Long of forty-five. He's four or five from under forty or thirty to thirty-nine. Three or four beyond forty to forty-nine and 0 for two from beyond fifty on the season. And they don't kill themselves with penalties. Five point eight eight per game. Fifty-first in the nation. Fifty-five penalty yards per game. Sixty-eighth in the nation.
0: Did you watch? Yeah, you, know, you weren't there when we talked to when I talked to JP, to Coach JP. Did you listen to his comments afterwards? I did. I did. What were your, what were your thoughts? I just I, I thought he was insightful and interesting in talking about the special teams issues. I know it's not going to make frustrated fans feel any better about what they've seen. Um, but but what are your thoughts on his approach and just what's happening in special teams
2: right now? I think he's frustrated by it. Um, Seemed uh, like it. I. I They know what they're trying to accomplish, and they're working their backsides off to try to accomplish it with the way they're doing it in practice. For whatever reason, it is not translating to games. And, for example, last week there were things we saw them practice in special teams that they either tried to do against Clemson or went away from doing. And when they did try to do them, they weren't successful. It's just – it's one of those areas of the game where I feel like they need to have a successful moment, a big moment. And maybe it all kind of clicks for them and it all goes well. I feel like the early in the year penalties on special teams when they tried to go after a couple of things have kind of set them back. And then obviously returns have just been a mess. Returns haven't been effective. There's been bad decisions made. There's been just ineffectiveness when they have made a decision. I I think there's a great deal of frustration. But I I don't think it's a matter of like when Alonzo Hampton was coaching special teams, I don't. I didn't feel like they knew what the hell they were trying to accomplish, let alone having the ability to accomplish it. In this case with JP and the staff at Norvell coaching it, it's abundantly clear what they're trying to accomplish. It's just not happening. But at some point it has to happen. Special teams has been bad. I said in the reaction podcast after Clemson that at this point it's sort of you are who you are with regards to that. But would it shock me if they finally have a breakthrough in that department? No, it wouldn't because they've invested so much time in – it's abundantly clear some of the things they are trying to create out of that. They Josh believe that it, can be a strength.
0: Josh said it much more profoundly than you did, uh, but no. What need did he to, say? Oh, I'm, no, yeah, I'm not yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat like, it on this podcast. It's crazy to me. It's just so hard to kind of fathom get your head around like the amount of time we've talked about on this podcast like the, they spend on special teams. Uh but even looking at the success, like, I, I just went back the other day just to refresh myself and r- remind myself, like, yeah, that Mike Nervell has had great special teams when he was at Memphis. I mean, you're talking about they were one, they were first nationally one year, I think second another. I think the worst they had was, like, in the in the 30s or something like that. Uh, John Papuchis' Maryland team, this is per the FEI rating. I think their special teams was 74th in 2019, which even then isn't as bad as it is now. But, like, when he was at Nebraska, and that was, granted, a, a decade before – Um, But those special teams were consistently in the top 10. It's just uh, people wanting to make a swift move to fire JP. It's not like that him and Norvell don't know what they're doing with special teams. Now this happens over a period of time and and multiple years. Then, then, yeah, you got to reevaluate it. But like, it's been so difficult that even last year's FSU special teams, despite not having a great kicker, uh, was solid across the board. The coverage units were really good. I just I I'm confused as to what's happening. I think they are, too, at this point. But we don't have to keep going into special teams. Uh, That was more than the Bob Ferrante 30 seconds. I know he probably enjoyed that, though. This one's for you, Bob. Let's see. Uh, Prediction, Chris. Let's get into it here. I'm going to start off. I'll let you be the dramatic one at the end. Uh, I have FSU falling 28 to 21. I have FSU not covering. If I were a betting man, I would put money on NC State giving points.
2: I'll go NC State 38, FSU
0: 28. Okay, so full 10 points there. I, I... I'm with you. I, I struggle to see, and 38 is more than I guess I would think. But I could see a path to where NC State is scoring into the 30s because of how balanced that offense is. Let's go the other way. What would Florida State have to do to pull out what what's currently an upset? They're underdogs. What, what would FSU have to do to win the game? And, and and well, yeah,
2: I'll stop rambling. What would FSU have to do to win? Generate turnovers and hit explosives.
0: Uh, so typically the ingredient for an upset yeah i'd i thought there was a i i don't know if there's a way where they beat nc state straight up i don't think they're gonna be able to do what they did against unc i don't think they beat unc either you know it's a softer defense obviously with more explosives on offense but yeah i think you have to have some turnover luck uh, we mentioned special teams i think you have to win special teams these are all things that have to happen um i am skeptical on how fsu is going to generate explosives on offense this week though I don't know if I'm with you there.
2: No, I didn't say they're going to. I said
0: no, that's what you That's what you said. No, That's what you said. Whatever. That's what I heard. Anything else before we get out of here? Nope. What's your confidence rating on Travis Hunter right now?
2: I don't have a confidence rating. I just expect him to sign with FSU. For Chris Knee, Josh
0: Newberg, Zach Blastein. I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. We'll talk to you guys on the instant. Maybe cover an FSU win. Uh, But we're going 0 for 3 here, so (sighs) maybe not.